if you're a security manager and you're managing a security function, you still have to understand some of the fundamental concepts. So however it is that you learn, whether it's audiobooks, mentorships, certifications, or doing capture the flags, all of them help. Welcome to The Circuit Magazine, the number one source of information on protection matters, the industry-leading magazine for all security professionals who want to stay ahead of the game. People often talk about upskilling from a physical to a cyber or converged security specialist, but what does it really mean? We are here with Sean Southall, the one and only Converged Security Specialist, and we are going to look at this in a bit more detail. It's a pleasure to have you on, Sean. How are you doing? Thank you, Billings. Pleasure to be here, and thanks for having me. No, no, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's great to have you on, and I know you've spoken at several of uh, my other events, and great to recently uh, catch up in person. Um, but but let, let's get into it with our three quickfire questions and grapple with this topic. Um, what's the problem with the industry as, as, as it sort of stands in relation to being both proficient in physical and quote-unquote cybersecurity? Bringing it into one problem is kind of difficult because there's so many. One of the major problems is that we see it in a siloed way that we are still talking about physical and information security as separate disciplines. What I found and from my perspective, my journey from physical into InfoSec was simply by virtue of physical security becoming part of the attack surface. So I had to upskill in cybersecurity and understand some of the fundamental concepts in order to be good at my job in physical security because essentially uh, I was part of that attack surface and could, could, could be attacked. So it was natural for me to want to upskill in that area. I think one of the things you have to have is the motivation and the interest to be able to do it. And from when I was about seven or eight years old, I was coding in basic back then. And that's not visual basic. That's the first basic. <laughs> the Circle Sinclair basic <laughs> for, uh, for the listeners who are as old as we are. But uh, yeah, having, having that kind of, passion and having that interest is part of it. I mean, you don't need it, but it definitely helps. So yeah, it, it kind of uh, smoothed the pathway a little bit to then develop my interest further and take that understanding further and, and, and make it valuable to my job. And of course, now it's kind of pivoted into a career move. I, I like that. So, 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 you know, and, and you mentioned Basic. I, I played around with QBasic, QuickBasic. Um, not the same as not the same as yours. You know, not as illustrious, of course. Um, but 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 your your your, your own your own career. You know, what about you? Right. You you've mentioned your childhood experimentation with you know programming and coding. Um, where's your passion for both sides of the house really come from? How you know? It, it, it seems to me that it would have been more logical for you to start off in infosec. Maybe. Yeah. I, I kind of fell into physical security by accident. So really, there was no real passion there in physical security. It was, I actually saw my career becoming a translator. So I, I studied French, German, Italian at university and still speak three languages 
If four of you include, include Brummy, <laughs> reasonably well. So that's where I saw my career going. But as it turned out, Google managed to get this really good algorithm called Google Translate, which actually does a pretty good job. When I was at university, it was Babblefish, and it, was, it wasn't very good. So now the, the role of translator is kind of limited, and certainly with those languages as well, you really have to speak some, some niche languages for that to be a career. So I fell into physical security, and then as time went on, I, it, as I said, the, the, uh, the kind of... The, uh, the, the way that physical security has developed to, to becoming security means that it's natural that I, I had to, to then pull upon some of my previous experiences. And the coding is funny. You know, you, you mentioned about basic being on, a, on, a, on another level and it, and it really isn't. It was quite simple. You know, I, I made a, uh, I remember making a football management simula simulator when I was about, eight or nine years old. And it was my primary primary school class against the other primary school class. And it was, it was really primitive. It was just like text on a screen. It wasn't like football manager or anything like that. But I remember my dad telling me, get out and, get out and play with your friends. You're gonna turn into Kevin, Kevin Mitnick. And of course you'd see these photos of Kevin Mitnick on, on TV, you know, looking like a serial killer. <laughs> and, uh, and and didn't want me to turn out like uh, you know a guy who the the uh, the feds were chasing for two years to, to then put in prison. So uh, yeah, whilst it may seem on the face of it natural, I would have started out in infosec. It was just kind of a, a an interest when I was younger, and it was put on the on the back burner a little bit whilst I progressed with languages. So. Yeah, it was a uh, you know it wasn't quite as cut and dried as it as it sounds. I like it though. You know that, that asymmetric route into physical security uh, might you know resonate with a proportion of our of our listeners because you know a lot of people come from military or police, but there are a growing crowd of uh, people who have come from neither, um, which is really 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 important. So our third quick fire, which is. You know, very important for the uninitiated. Seems to be a catchphrase of mine, but the uninitiated, the the, the, the physical security specialists who are absolutely not uh, thinking, uh, or, or they don't understand yet how they could uh, augment their skills. What, what what do you want them to better understand? Yeah, you mentioned about police and military come you know coming into either physical security or or, or information security, and they are an advantage compared with, with someone like me who didn't have any experience in that field. I think I see, you know, I see a lot of ex-military in cybersecurity and in successful roles within cybersecurity as well because they understand stuff like, you know, the cyber kill chain and uh, something like that, you know, the might of attack framework would make it far more sense to them than it did uh, did to me when I first looked at it so yeah they, they've you know they've got some transferable skills that they can they can bring directly into the role quite easily uh, and and it will make far more sense for me I had to go out and actually look for it so aside from I mean and I mentioned basic earlier and there's some crossover between 
basic and python you know it's a, you look at the the construction of the code it's very similar but cybersecurity isn't all about coding it's not all about python there's other transferable skills that you can bring into it and i like uh, the cats typology you know which is that you kind of have your your technical skills at the bottom so you've got to still have that that framework and that foundation of technical skills and as you move up there's soft skills which are really relevant as well and a holistic viewpoint right at the top which is the most important i think a good balance of all of those can stand you in good stead so when if i get people who are in physical security come to me and say yeah how can i how can i get these technical skills or how can i get enough technical skills that will help me in my role then the first question i ask is you know firstly how passionate are you about this area secondly how is it going to translate to your day-to-day job and thirdly you know how is it going to translate to where you see yourself in five or ten years time because it's not impossible for someone in physical security in their 40s to become a pen tester or an ethical hacker. You know, they can move in that direction. I see it quite often. But I also see people from a physical security background moving more into maybe SOC or Blue Team or even in governance. And especially governance is an area where cybersecurity does struggle a little bit. And it's an area where we can improve. So... Yeah, what what are your plans? Where you know what do you need? Because there's plenty of places where you can go and get it. There's Discord servers such as Certification Station, where if you want to work towards a certification, and that's the route that I took. But not everyone has to do it. It's not absolutely essential, but it helped me because I need lots of different ways of learning. You know, I have my home lab which is full of uh, all sorts of weird and wonderful things. I'm not going to give too much away on the, on the podcast, but I, I need to, to learn in that way. Uh, but also you know, there's, there's Discord. There's some fantastic YouTube channels such as Network Chuck and David Bombles channel as well. And some of this is just going away and working on Raspberry Pis and, and just getting yourself familiarized. And, and then some of it is you know, more on that sort of governance area, that, that kind of translating security management on a physical security level to holistic security management. You know, how can you take some of those skills and build in InfoSec into it? And there's some great mentors out there, and I highly recommend it. You know, I'm in my 40s now, and if I went into the job every day with the idea that you know i kind of you know i've done my my 20 years in the industry so i don't you know why would i need a mentor then i wouldn't i wouldn't be progressing every day there's people like jj davy and uh, dr richard diston as well i mean their mission is kind of to help people make that transition into into infosec because like I said earlier, you know, security is physical security and infosec are their security. You know, we we've had this conversation before on your other events. Converged security is something that the industry really does need to get its head around as, as quickly as possible. I I like that, and you mentioned uh, JJ Davies and uh, the doctor. Uh, the, what was his name? What just just for the uh, Doctor Richard Diston. Diston. Okay. Um, and I think I think what's interesting, even for me, like some people can be your mentors without knowing they're your mentors. 
right? It doesn't have to be a formal uh, yeah. relationship. And like I'm associated with a rookie group, people who are actually fresh uh, out of college, but yet they're teaching me so many things. Um, I hope I would be able to help them too, but I don't, I think, I think maybe some people would have an issue with someone that's younger being a mentor, but I, but I think we've got to realize that a lot of the skills that people in Gen Z, Gen Y have naturally are only available because they've only had to emerge in the last five years. So, 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 so I, so I take your point about, um, about mentors and I think, a lot of people hear that there's a massive skills gap in the cybersecurity sector, and they assume that everybody is a Kubernetes coder or everybody is something that actually does require a great degree of technical ability from the offset. But the skills gap or the employment gap really includes governance, and but also marketing and also PR and also operations. Um, I guess... Maybe that leads to a good question. Imagine you're a physical security specialist. Perhaps you're in executive protection like our community. What is not a good first step in your opinion? There's lots of good first steps. There's lots of YouTube videos. Um, uh, uh, but, but what would a bad idea as, as, as a first step uh, you know, to, to jump into this education be? <laughs> I, I think going straight into CISSP would be a bad, a bad move. It's a tough exam. It's a way of life rather than a certification. Uh, also, I hear of people who've done the, the OSCP, you know, the 24-hour exam, <laughs> where, where you, get, you get a small window where you can have a little nap and then you're back at it again. And, yeah, to go straight into that, I think, would be demoralizing. And it's certainly you know, not what I would recommend. Uh, I look back at my own journey and I've made mistakes uh, along the way as well. So some, sometimes I think, yeah, maybe I tried to run before I could walk. So whilst I did have quite a bit of IT knowledge from, from when I was younger and I worked in, in, in network video surveillance for 11 plus years, still I probably didn't quite have enough network knowledge so even after i got all these asaka certifications i went back and did ccna again because still i didn't really have enough understanding of networks and with with physical security you know you're building knowledge in lots of different areas criminology you know understanding rational choice theory and routine activity theory some of these motivations for crime when it comes to cyber, it's slightly different. The motivations are a little bit more complex and they don't necessarily tie into TCAP to, to uh, uh, capability of, of the threat agent. So, uh, yeah, I've gone off a, a, a little bit of a, <laughs> a tangent there. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, I, I wouldn't recommend going into something com completely technical, you know, build, build lots of foundation knowledge in lots of areas. I think uh, web applications is something that's, you know, I struggle with and I'm going backwards now and, and, and learning again. Uh, I've got a, got a course on, on Wednesday, actually, on, uh, on web apps. And uh, uh, yeah, I think you know, networks as well. There, there was a few mistakes that I made where I thought I was probably better than 
I actually am. Is the, the Peter principle kicking in, you know? Uh, risk management as well. Yeah, that's something something I'm learning every day. I think as a physical security community, we're used to these heat maps and five by five, likelihood versus impact. And eventually you get to a point where you you, you study this for long enough and you're, you're working in this environment for long enough. And you've done about five years of everything being medium likelihood, medium impact. And yeah, one of the things I would recommend is, is for a, any security professional, not just those looking to transition from physical into infosec or bring infosec as part of their armory, but improve your risk management skills as well. See a lot in the physical security community, myself included when I was in it, where a lot of it is down to kind of gut feel and ex, expert intuition, which uh, I, think, I think nowadays you have to be able to look for data, classify data, give it a value as well, you know, value your data and value the information that you have. And then doing stuff like Monte Carlo simulations, is a, it's, fant- it's a fantastic skill to develop in order to be able to show some value back to the board in terms of the data that you're collecting and then how you want to spend their money. A lot of boards see security as a black hole. So even when I was in physical security, this is something that I built and, and built the capability of probably before I built all the infosec knowledge, actually, was the, the, the risk management side of it. So, or, or sorry, the risk analysis side of it. But that's the, the most important uh, uh, way to describe it. Because once you can show value and once you can show dollars, pounds, euros, whatever it is, then that, that value, you've committed to that, that value. And usually it's a range. <laughs> so, yeah, if you can think in, in that way, then that's a big help. And That sounds like actuaries. Yeah, it's like actual uh, thinking in, ter- in terms of risk because, uh, you know, I, risk is, you know, it's too often qualitative within the security industry and stuff like, you know, a denial of service, you know, until you have a denial of service, how, how big, how big a risk is it? (laughs) If you haven't had one previously and you're just using historical data or you're just using expert intuition, well, you're probably going to be unprepared for it. Yeah. We just seen that with a, a global pandemic. That's right. That's right. And you know, with with uh, with with another hat on, uh, we you know we we often ask, you know, why not gameplay the Black Swan events? Because um, they're actually a bit more engaging to gameplay anyway. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it goes beyond the uh, the box art. A bunch of guys sat in a room. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I'm talking. <laughs> you you mentioned before, you know, Raspberry Pis and just kind of playing with stuff and getting to grips with it um it has been mentioned before that people should have a crack at a capture the flag or on the easy side of capture the flag um i know people will will hear that and go oh no that sounds enormously technical but some of the easier ones even i've had a go at uh, the 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 the, the, you know the very simple challenges would you would you recommend that as as something to play about with and if so what should people expect yeah, I would recommend it. It's something that I do as well. Yeah. And there's some great resources out there that aren't expensive. 
So even if your employers aren't willing to invest in it because they don't see the benefit to your current job role. And that was the case for me previously. So I went out and invested in uh, premium Try Hack Me account and Hack the Box uh, and TCM Security actually as well. Have a <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Uh, TCM Security as well, Heath Adams' uh, organization. They, they've all got these rooms where you can go in and practice. And a lot of it is walkthrough, you know, and, you, and it's just about practice. And uh, I go back to the languages, and this is where, where it ties in. You know, I could pick up a language quite easily and talk it every day, especially if I went to the country. You know, and maybe I wouldn't be able to understand Italian for a few years. But then when I travel to Italy and I'm sat in a gondola, you know, I, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not there enjoying the scenery with my partner. I'm talking to the gondolier in Italian because everything comes flooding back. And it's exactly the same with programming languages as well. You don't use it for a little while. But you know, as soon as you start typing the code, you, it comes flooding back to you. And it's skills that, you know, it, with practice, you can learn. And as soon as they go from being a kind of, a, a within your system one mental mode to, to system two uh, to back to <laughs> back to system one maybe and then back to system two so it becomes uh, kind of habitual then it becomes a lot easier so capture the flag you know to, to kind of uh, you envisage something very difficult and ty something tiring like the OSCP exam <laughs> we talked about earlier the 24-hour exam and it can be tiring, but there are some simple rooms and, and they can get your confidence up. Is it a prerequisite for a career in security? Absolutely not. But it's interesting. It's interesting getting in the mind of the attacker and also you know, how the attack surface plays out as well. Because some of those CTFs will include stuff like pivoting and privilege escalation. And these are concepts that you have to understand in security, especially if, if you're part of the attack surface. If you're a security manager and you're managing a security function, which includes a video management system or an access control system, and that sits on a network, whether it's segmented or even whether it's air gap, it doesn't matter. You still have to understand some of the fundamental concepts. So however it is that you learn it, whether it's audiobooks, mentorships, certifications, or doing capture the flags, all of them help. And, and you mentioned elevation of privilege. And in fact, somewhere I have uh, the game elevation of privilege, which uh, sounds really a little bit sad, doesn't it? Because it shouldn't be a game, but it, it, it helps you understand that you, you hear elevation of privilege and you think, oh, that must be wholly cyber related. Yet a scam artist could make a phone call to a telco, impersonate being you, gain more access and actually elevate their privilege just on a few phone calls. It's, it, it's a mindset, isn't it? It's, it's, not, it's not necessarily everything tied to InfoSec. It, it, it's much more about a mindset, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. Look at, look at Kevin Mitnick. You know, he wasn't one of the most skilled attackers in the, in the world. He was just persistent and was really good on the phone. He <laughs> was really good at convincing people to give him information. And, and then, you know, was passionate enough to just keep trying from there. And that, that's you know, part of the mentality of the attacker, isn't it? They're not always the most skilled because there's a lot of open source tools out there. So they don't need to be. But getting the information is, 
uh, really important and really useful. I mean, if you don't have to go hunting around for it, if you can just get it over the phone, that's low hanging fruit. So I think then maybe I, I hope I'm not overstepping any mark, but I've noticed a bit of a, a, a train of thought moving from your experiences as a physical security specialist and your experience with colleagues in the physical world to the infosec world. The, the willingness to experiment or the willingness to try, you mentioned motivation, how motivated are you to learn? I guess I want to ask the more thorny question, looking at colleagues past and present in the physical security world, do you think they are too focused on gold stars, on certificates, on um, the, the completion of a course, rather than the continual experimentation with, with you know, uh, a Sudoku puzzle <laughs> or, or a capture the flag or, or something like that? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, I mentioned Dr. Richard Diston earlier, and one of the things he talks about is the T-shaped professional. And that's a professional who doesn't just understand security, but goes out and educates themselves, reads books, understands decision science, uh, accounting, finance, uh, influence. There's so many different skills which build your professional career and how you expand your own knowledge and your own mindset. And eventually you get to a point where you see they, where they all interlink. And you started to touch on it there about social engineering and how, you know, how that fits into InfoSec. That's, it's a, a, a clever link because it is one individual part of it. But as a security professional, and, and I'm sure there'll be people listening who are security managers who've had to learn budgeting on the spot, you know, <laughs> they've had to suddenly learn how to budget. They've got no accountancy background, but they have to learn how to budget. They have to learn how to conduct third-party supplier risk assessments. You know, what are we looking for here? You're learning on the job. And sometimes that experimentation has to expand beyond your day-to-day duties. You've got to take the time outside to go, okay, you know, it's part of the job, so I want to be better at it. I want to learn, learn more about it. And that was how it was for me. I didn't have to learn more about stuff like you know, signed firmware and trusted platform modules, but I wanted to be the best. I wanted to know more than everybody else. I wanted to be able to answer any question that anyone asks me. And it's that kind of motivation, which is, I would say, not just a motivation, but a desire as well. Uh, you know, my my hashtag CISO, CISO by SIXO is still, is still alive. <laughs> yeah. I got uh, le- less than tw- uh, 20 years, <laughs> but over 15 years to get there. And I'm not going to get there just by stay, staying in my lane. You, know, you have to expand outside of that. And uh, yeah, that T-shaped professional is something which really stuck with me. Learning all those different areas is, is crucial. You know, even in stuff like, you know, stuff like risk, reading books like um, uh, Kahneman and Tversky's uh, <laughs> Thinking Fast and Slow. You know, the, that was, uh, you know, that changed, started to change my mindset on, on certain things, you know, the cognitive biases which we, which we have and we carry into uh, our work and in our personal life as well. 
physically irrational than Ariely. You know, these are fantastic publications that you just read through them and you're like, yeah, as humans, we're pretty predictable, actually. <laughs> yeah, we keep making these mistakes over and over in history. So, yeah, I think it, you know, having that willingness and desire to just expand your knowledge in all sorts of different fields, you know, not, not just the technicalities of cyber. And I mentioned it's good to have that technical base, but expanding your knowledge outwards in lots of different areas. Yeah. There's only so long you can go working a nine to five or in some instances, you know, much longer and then go home and try and do a, a your gold star certification. You know, I ran myself into the ground doing that for a year and a half and yeah, okay, I would say it was kind of worth it because it gives you more chance of getting alternative employment. But was it good for my health? Definitely not. <laughs> so was it good for my social life? Definitely not. Was it good for my family life? Definitely not. You know, I had to make a sacrifice there. And it wasn't necessarily the, the only path. So that's something to, to, to bear in mind as well. I love it. You are a T-shaped professional. And, <laughs> not yet yeah uh, you can never stop learning no no but you're, you're getting to that t and uh i love that see so by 60 you probably make it a lot before then you know um, you, <laughs> you might actually that. want it you know a lot of people don't like getting uh the CISO job they want to renounce it as soon as they get it so but, but at least at least you put it on your vision board which is which is uh really nice um funnily enough every, every CISO tells me the same same thing <laughs> you won't trust me you don't want this job <laughs> Well, at least at least you got the goal, and uh, at least it, you know we'll 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 put it on as pedestal for now. Um, we're coming up to the festive season. What's next for you? Yeah, yeah, good question. So yeah, I've been with the CAA just over a month now. Really enjoying the job, and that's taking a lot of my men- not necessarily a lot of my time, but a lot of my mental time. Uh, it's taking a lot of my my mental bandwidth as well. So. I've put a kind of, kind of put the brakes on doing any certifications or courses or anything like that for now. But for next year, I'll be doing the Sea Guide. So my aim is to have the full suite of ISACA certifications. I'm pretty close now. I have two to go. <laughs> so four down, two to go. But also being in aviation, I feel like I need to understand industrial control systems better. So I'll be looking to upskill in that area as well. So, uh, yeah, some some more security-related certifications and courses. And, yeah, there won't be any, any finance or behavioral science or anything like that. I've done a lot of that over the last few years. And, and lockdown was, was, was great for that in one aspect because it did get, you know, whilst we were tied to Zoom for long periods, it did give us a little bit more time to be able to, explore some of those different educational resources so yeah i'm going to get christmas out of the way and then to take the exam in c guides i have a couple of other exams as well to take the fair fundamentals which is a factor analysis of information risk so uh, quantifying risk using the fair methodology i'm i'm ready to take the exam but i'm just too lazy at the moment to go and sit in a test center and put my mask on you know underground and use my windows 95 pc it's like no i'll save that till the new year when it when hopefully everything is open again 
So yeah, that's the, the plan. And then look at the industrial control systems as a, as a focus area for next year. But another area as well, which I'm looking into is uh, the legal side of cybersecurity. So that's something which is often overlooked. You're, you're going to put everyone to shame. You're going to scare them away. We, we, we're trying to tell them that it's okay. You don't need to be Mr. Superhero person. Like you, you, you really are upskilling, aren't you? <laughs> well, yeah, time is running out for me, you know, CISO by CISO. <laughs> but yeah, again, you know, from, from working for, for the regulator, what we're trying to do is take complex legal jargon and make it something valuable for the industry. So take, taking complex legal jargon and just regurgitating complex legal jargon is of no value. If you can show how that can impact upon an entity's cybersecurity posture and then advise them accordingly, then that's something that's really helpful. So yeah, the legal side of it is, is something which I want to pursue. And, uh, yeah, you never know. We could be talking in two years' time and I'll have done a master's in law. I doubt it, but you never know. <laughs> and, 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 and for reassurance purposes, executive security professionals do not need to do a master's in law necessarily, right? We're trying to encourage them to take baby steps. We don't have to scare them. Yeah, just, just, uh, yeah. just get the free version of Try Hack Me. Just do a few CTFs. <laughs> That's enough. But uh, yeah, yeah that, well, you asked what's next. You, yeah, I did. I did. Question. <laughs> I did. Well, I, I'm well impressed. You're definitely T-shaped to me, and uh, I, <laughs> I, 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 I think absolutely CISO before sixty is is uh, on the cards, isn't it? Um, well, <laughs> so. well, Sean, I look forward to seeing you again in person very soon, and uh, yeah, have a great uh, Christmas New Year. You have been listening to the Circuit Magazine podcast. Be sure to subscribe and be sure to not miss an episode.